This episode of This Mom Loves is brought to you by Eva's Scrunchie Co. Stylish scrunchies handmade with love in Canada by a 12-year-old entrepreneur. Find them on Instagram at Eva's Scrunchie Co. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of This Mom Loves. I am Kate Wynn, a mom, teacher, blogger, TV guest, book club host, and also podcaster. And you are listening to episode 52 of the show. We are back from a COVID-19 slash summer hiatus. So excited to be back with excellent guests coming up this season and all sorts of amazing content and very happy to have you here with us. Today in My Favorite Things, I'm going to talk about a few great books. We're doing fiction today. In the lifestyle segment, talking a little bit about kids and money, which is very appropriate because today's special guest is Patty Lovett Reed. Patty is the chief financial commentator for CTV News, and she's a mom and a grandma, and she's here to talk about all sorts of topics like COVID-19 real estate and investments, choosing charities, talking to kids about money as well, her role with CTV and the sometimes self-imposed pressure on women in television, as well as embracing her natural curls this summer. Patty also is going to answer a couple of listener questions, including one from someone she knows quite well, so you're going to want to hang around for that. So we were on a hiatus for a little while. And of course, if you know me, you know, I love to read. So I read a pile of books that I kept on a long list. And then I realized I'm never going to be able to catch up by trying to share these on the show or else I'm going to be sharing like 20 books each time. So I did do a blog post that you might want to check out that was called my reading list for summer 2020, which is on the blog, but I will link to it in the show notes for this episode as well. So there are 16 books there, some fiction, some non- um, the fiction broken into my favorite suspense thriller and then just general fiction. So you may want to check that out as well. But for today, I am going to talk about some books that aren't on that list. And I want to start with The Sweeney Sisters, a novel by Leanne Dolan. And here's what it's about. Maggie, Eliza, and Trisha Sweeney grew up as a happy threesome in the idyllic seaside town of Southport, Connecticut. But their mother's death from cancer 15 years ago tarnished their golden-hued memories, and the sisters drifted apart. Their one touchstone is their father, Bill Sweeney, an internationally famous literary lion and college professor universally adored by critics, publishers, and book lovers. When Bill dies unexpectedly one cool June night, his shell-shocked daughters return to their childhood home. They aren't quite sure what the future holds without their larger-than-life father, but they do know how to throw an Irish wake to honor a man of his stature. But as guests pay their respects and reminisce, one stranger, emboldened by whiskey, has crashed the party. It turns out that she, too, is a Sweeney sister. When Washington, D.C.-based journalist Serena Tucker had her DNA tested on a whim a few weeks earlier, she learned she had a 50% genetic match with a childhood neighbor, Maggie Sweeney of Southport, Connecticut. It seems Serena's chilly wasp mother, Bertie, had a history with Bill Sweeney, one that has remained totally secret until now. Once the shock wears off, questions abound. What does this mean for William's literary legacy? Where is the unfinished memoir he stashed away and what will it reveal? And how will a fourth Sweeney sister, a blonde among redheads, fit into their story? By turns revealing, insightful, and uproarious, the Sweeney sisters is equal parts cautionary tale and celebration, a festive and heartfelt look at what truly makes a family. 
Now, I don't have sisters myself. I have several lovely sisters-in-law, but I think those who grew up with sisters in particular will enjoy this book. So it's more the general fiction type, The Sweeney Sisters. Next one, getting into more of my suspense thriller genre, is a book called Hurry Home by Roz Ney. Alexandra Van Ness has the perfect life. She lives in an idyllic, which obviously is a word publishers like to use since we just heard it in the last description, resort town tucked away in the Rocky Mountains, shares a designer loft with her handsome boyfriend, Chase, and has her dream job working in child protection. Every day, Alex goes above and beyond to save children at risk. But when her long-lost sister, Ruth, unexpectedly shows up at her door asking for help, Alex's perfect life is upended. Growing up, Ruth was always the troublemaker, pulling Alex into her messes, and this time will be no different. Their relationship is fraught with hurts and regrets from their childhood that bind them to silence, but they can't outrun them forever. Alex lets Ruth stay under one condition. We will never, ever talk about the past. But when a local child is in danger, Alex becomes very involved and the secrets from long ago come back to haunt her with terrible consequences for everyone. A gripping look at the inescapable bond between sisters and the devastating cost of a single mistake, Hurry Home will keep readers guessing who is telling the truth and who is lying until the very last page. So again, a bit of a sister's theme happening here, but this one is much more suspenseful and, and dark. A really great read. The next one I want to recommend is another mystery, and it's called The Mountains Wild by Sarah Stewart Taylor. And this one was a little more meaningful for me this summer to read because my family was supposed to have a trip to Ireland. We were supposed to go base ourselves in London for 10 days with my parents, London, Dublin, for 10 days with my parents and my brother and his family. And then we were going to travel all around the rest of the country from there. We had planned, we've been planning it for years, really, but we booked everything more than a year in advance. And then, of course, with COVID-19, it couldn't happen. So fortunately, everybody who had paid for things got money back, which was wonderful. Um, I think there's one little deposit for a tour that we're still hoping that we can uh, push ahead to the next time that we go, which might be next summer, might not be. But this book is partially set in Ireland, which just seemed kind of appropriate as I was, you know, a little bit sad about the fact that I wasn't really there this summer. 23 years ago, Maggie Darcy's family received a call from the Dublin police. Her cousin Aaron had been missing for several days. Maggie herself spent weeks in Ireland trying to track Aaron's movements working beside the police, but it was to no avail. No trace of her was ever found. The experience inspired Maggie to become a cop. Now, back on Long Island, more than 20 years have passed. Maggie is a detective and a divorced mother of a teenager. When the guard that called to say that Aaron's scarf has been found and another young woman has gone missing, Maggie returns to Ireland, awakening all the complicated feelings from the first trip. The despair and frustration of not knowing what happened to Aaron, her attraction to Aaron's co-worker, now a professor, who never fully explained their relationship, and her determination to solve the case once and for all. A lyrical, deeply drawn portrait of a woman and a country over two decades, The Mountains Wild introduces a compelling new mystery series from a mesmerizing author. So again, a great mystery, The Mountains Wild by Sarah Stewart Taylor. There's one more book I want to recommend, and I'm sharing this one right now especially because it is the September 2020 pick for the This Mom Loves Virtual Book Club. So we have a Facebook group. Anyone is welcome to join. You do have to click click to request to join, and then, of course, I will approve you because we love having new members. We're uh, more than 80 people now, I think mostly women, if not all. And each month we pick a book, and you get a few weeks' notice so that you can order it or put it on hold at the library, whatever the case may be. 
And then at the beginning of the month, I share questions that are kind of, you know, theme-based or connected to the author, something like that, that don't give away anything about the book. By the 21st, our questions and comments are allowed to include spoilers, kind of with the assumption everybody has finished. There are some people who are, you know, very active commenters. There are some people who are more lurkers, but I think uh, most people really do enjoy being a part of it. So you are welcome to come over to Facebook and join the group that This Mom Loves Virtual Book Club. And our September 2020 pick is The Guest List by Lucy Foley. The Bride, The Plus One, The Best Man, The Wedding Planner, The Bridesmaid, The Body. On an island off the coast of Ireland, guests gather to celebrate two people joining their lives together as one. The groom, handsome and charming, a rising television star. The bride, smart and ambitious, a magazine publisher. It's a wedding for a magazine or for a celebrity. The designer dress, the remote location, the luxe party favors, the boutique whiskey. The cell phone service may be spotty and the waves may be rough, but every detail has been expertly planned and will be expertly executed. But perfection is for plans and people are all too human. As the champagne is popped and the festivities begin, resentments and petty jealousies begin to mingle with the reminiscences and well wishes. The groomsmen begin the drinking game from their school days. The bridesmaid not so accidentally ruins her dress. The bride's oldest male friend gives an uncomfortably caring toast. And then someone turns up dead. Who didn't wish the happy couple well? And perhaps more important, why? The Guest List by Lucy Foley. In the lifestyle segment today, I thought it would be perfect to talk about kids and money since we have Patty Lovett Reed joining us a little bit later to talk all about finance. So I just want to talk a little bit about my experiences with my girls. So when they were little, um, when they were old enough to understand money and, and want things, we did do a small weekly allowance that was not tied to chores. Uh, people who know me or have been listening to the show know I've always been very big on as soon as kids are able to do all sorts of chores. So my girls do things around the house like laundry, unloading the dishwasher, cooking and cleaning up for meals. They look after their own rooms. I do have a house cleaner who comes a couple hours a week to take care of, of the rest of the house, but not the girls' rooms. They're still responsible for dusting and sweeping and, and doing all that. During COVID time, when the house cleaner wasn't able to come, I taught them how to uh, thoroughly clean a bathroom top to bottom. So they got onto all that stuff. Um, so the idea is that when you're part of a household, we say team win, that everybody has to pitch in and that that helps free up my time and their dad's time to drive them to extracurriculars and to friends' houses and to have time to do things together as a family when we all pitch in. So they don't get paid for that. Now, sometimes there might be a bigger job, like maybe I want them to go out and clean the cars or, or something that's more of a one-off and I might offer a little financial incentive. But now they actually make some of their own money for some of the musical performances they do. They, and they also get a lot of money for things like birthdays and Christmases and sacraments and all of that. And they've started doing some babysitting too. So they have their own money. When they were younger, we used um, the little three-section piggy banks, the save, spend, share, and they would split money between. So then if something came up at school, like the Terry Fox run or something like that, where they needed a little donation, they could go to their, their share compartment. They don't use those anymore because we've gotten to more using bank accounts and and things like that, but uh, but that's really good for younger kids, I find. And then they've tried to make some of their own money too. So a few years ago, they did a cold drink stand, and I don't think you can probably do something like this during COVID, but great profit for kids because you can buy the cases of water bottles and cases of cans of pop and that sort of thing. Even if you sell them for a buck a piece, there's a, a lot of markup there. And then the question became, should they, you know, we see a lot of kids doing wonderful philanthropic things. Should they have to donate their profits? And we talked about that and we decided that, no, when people work, they need some of their money and they use some of their money for necessities and for the things that they want. 
and people try to donate it to give back. So what they decided to do at that time was they split their profits in half. So they each kept a quarter of profit and then the other half, what they did was they donated it to the Ross Memorial Hospital. And they wrote a cute letter at the time just saying that they wanted the money to go to babies or kids. And they got a lovely letter back actually from the, the hospital too, which was nice. Now, even now, as you may have heard um, with the sponsor off the top of the show, and you'll hear again in a moment, my daughter Eva has her own scrunchie business. And so she's really enjoyed making her own money and deciding how to spend it. She has done some charitable stuff with it, but also she decided she wanted to redecorate her room. And that was something that I didn't have on the books to, to pay for this year. So she did that. She's bought some back to school clothes. We always buy like one first day outfit plus the indoor shoes, but there were more things that she wanted that she decided to purchase with her money. So we talk about money a lot. We talk about things even, you know, with our own incomes. I mean, they don't know necessarily numbers, they eavesdrop a lot, so maybe they know more than I think. But we do talk about things like benefits and pension, and they'll ask about certain jobs and say, okay, if you have this job, do you get benefits? And all of that, which I think is just important. There's so many factors, of course, when they end up deciding what they want to do with their lives. But I think it's good that that they have all the information. So that has kind of been our, uh, our experience with the girls. And it will be interesting later in the show because Patty's going to talk to us about talking to kids about money too. If you are looking to find me on social media, I can be found on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves and on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. It absolutely makes my day, honestly, when I hear from someone who has listened to an episode. I got a beautiful message earlier in the summer from another teacher from somewhere, and, and I didn't know her, but she was saying how she had found the podcast and telling me, you know, what she liked about it and giving me a suggestion for something she'd like to see. And or here. And it honestly, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say it makes my day and makes me so happy. And you know, podcasts, I will tell you are a lot of work to put together. I enjoy it or else I wouldn't do it. But also it is kind of great to get some of that feedback just to, uh, just to keep me going. In a moment, we will have a word from our sponsor. And after that, an interview with Patty Lovett-Reed. This episode of This Mom Loves is brought to you by Eva's Scrunchie Co., Stylish scrunchies handmade with love in Canada by 12-year-old entrepreneur Eva Wynn. Limited quantities of the summer selection are still available. Beautiful scrunchies in blue, pink, yellow, and floral. Scrunchies are priced at three for $10 with local pickup available or shipping through Canada Post within Canada at a rate of $2. You can find everything you want to know about Eva's Scrunchie Co. on Instagram at Eva's Scrunchie Co. And keep your eyes open for a fall collection coming very soon. My special guest today is Patty Lovett-Reed. She is a mom and a grandma, a money expert, and chief financial commentator for CTV News, here to share her expertise with us. And I know I can sure use it. Welcome, Patty. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I want to jump right in and talk first about your family. Tell me about your family. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's a great way to start. Uh, we have four wonderful adult children. Uh, three are uh, in relationships or married. One is not, uh, although he could be, and maybe he just didn't tell me. We have two <laughs> wonderful grandchildren and we have another one on the way in September. So uh, life is busy. Life is fun. Um, I'm going to say if there is a silver lining with COVID, we have had wonderful times. They're in our bubble and they've been up at our cottage and uh, we've created a lot of memories. So it's been a good summer. And are you a grandma or a nana or something else? 
Well, originally I wanted to be called PLR and the children said I couldn't go with that route. Uh, <laughs> so now, so far, it's just Nana P. Although my daughter Jane is expecting and she's decided she gets to decide at the time if that's still going to be appropriate. We'll negotiate. Fair enough. And yes, I have seen on your Instagram, you've been enjoying lots of beautiful cottage time this summer and also going to your natural hair texture. Oh my goodness. You know what? Truthfully, I have straightened my hair for years, had a, a pixie cut. So anyone who follows me on Instagram knows that. Um, I went down to the city and I forgot my flattening iron. You would have thought the world was coming to an end because I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to go on air and look natural. And then out of nowhere, I get this response on Instagram from my boss, everyone else saying, uh, why aren't you just doing this every day? And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. Anyway, so for now, I have summer natural curl and it's pretty wild. <laughs> well, it looks gorgeous. I think your hair looks great both ways. It's nice to be able to have the option to change it up. <laughs> Thank you. Now, you are the chief financial commentator for CTV News. What does that mean exactly? And how did you get that role? Oh, okay. Well, um, I, I, okay. So when I started at CTV, I was a senior correspondent uh, in the financial area. I had retired from TD. I had worked there for more than, oh, call it 30 years. I retired as a senior vice president, and they asked me if I wanted to come in under contract. And I said, sure, why not? And then I said, you know, I'm not 20. They laughed and they said, yeah, we know. Don't worry about it. Uh, but we do know you You work in the financial services arena, in wealth management. I had written books on personal finance, and so I had a real passion for it. Uh, shortly after I got there, I was not a pro on TV, but they decided I should have my own show called the Patty Lovett Reed Show. And mm. that show was very focused on personal finance. I remember our son, David, saying, that's a risky title, Mom. And I said, why? And he said, because if they yank it off the air, um, it's going to be a spectacular fail. It's got your name on it. <laughs> well, they yanked it off the air. Uh, a lot of that having to do with cost cuts. And so while I was in there and they were breaking the news to me, I said, well, we at the time didn't have anyone else commenting on financial products, the arena, wealth management, the markets. And I said, okay, it'll look like I got promoted if we take my show off the air, but you call me the chief financial commentator. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they, they looked at me and they said, you're crazy, but okay, we'll do it. Now there are so many people on the network and the title, it kind of just stuck. But what that meant was that I kind of... For for the average Canadian, I try to lead the conversation and dialogue of what's going on in the markets, the economy, whether it's real estate, your personal finance, and I try to make it in a user-friendly way because I'm speaking to the average person out there who may or may not have the passion for this field that I do, and uh, they pretty much give me free reign. I write blogs on it. We post the blogs. I tend to do three, maybe four a week. Uh, and, and I really get to, to drive the content that we're discussing nationally. You have such a wealth of TV experience now. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for me as someone who does a lot of like, you know, guest appearances, doing uh, expert segments and things, or even just for all the people yeah. out there who are doing so much video now. I mean, even just for all your work, Zoom calls and all that sort of stuff. So any <laughs> tips about appearing on camera? 
Yeah, you know what? Uh, I do have a couple. One is try to be yourself. Try to be natural because the minute you try to be someone else, uh, people will see through it in a heartbeat. I, I also believe in preparation. I may only be on air for three minutes in a segment, but you can be sure I've probably spent an hour prepping for that three minutes mm -hmm. because I want to be succinct. I, I don't want to just dump information. I'm trying to have someone listen to me and I'm hoping that it works where someone will then walk away and they'll say, oh, here's something I took away. When I first started in the business, I was trying to impress people. If I'm really honest, look how smart I am. I'm really smart. I should be here. But they don't really care if you're smart or you're not smart. It's about the message and what's in it for them, not what's in it for you. Mm -hmm. I love that. It seems to be that there's more pressure for women on TV than for men, especially in terms of appearances and especially as mm -hmm. we get older. Do you feel any yeah. of that pressure? And if so, how do you handle it? Uh, you know, it's it's one. I think if there's any sort of pressure, it's more self-induced pressure. Uh, mm -hmm. I try to remain current. I try not to get stuck in time. Um, I used to say static hair, static life, because I would always change it up. I didn't expect, as we already made reference, to do things quite as dramatically as I did. Um, but I also, I also want to stay true to me. Um, you know, I want to be age appropriate. I found sometimes that um, when I would go into makeup, which truly is a highlight in my day, when I went into the studio, I'm now working from home, but there would be too much makeup, too much application, too much for me over the top. And people told me about it. You know, I really like watching mm -hmm. you and listening to you, but but I don't like your makeup. And all of a sudden, now that I'm doing it myself, and yes, people do comment on it. So to your point, um, yeah, you do get feedback. And I tend to listen to feedback, I'd like to say, in a balanced way. Um, it's, it's, it's important. It's, it's important to listen to what people have to say, but it's also important to have your own perspective and somehow meet in the middle. Well, I really want to take advantage of having you here today to, to pick your brain okay. for some financial advice. And obviously, Yikes. dealing with COVID, we need to uh, to start there. So for any listeners who aren't yet back to work or who are but suffered a really big financial hit, are there any tips that you have for them to kind of get back on their feet again? Well, certainly know that you're not alone. Uh, the, num the job losses alone since COVID has hit, uh, we've recouped maybe half of them. But disproportionately, those in the service industry, lower income Canadians, they've been hit the hardest. And my greatest fear is that when the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, the CERB, uh, starts to wind down, there are going to be many who are scrambling for jobs. And it's going to be, it's difficult. There's no question. And my fear, if I have one, is that the second wave or an extension of the first, depending on where you are in Canada, um, hits in the fall. And we know employers, in many cases, large employers, they have not laid off people yet. Uh, some of that may have had to do with conversations with the government, waiting to see how we get through this whole situation. I mean, we've never experienced an absolute shutdown of people in the economy. We've seen recessions. We've seen pullbacks, but not of actual people and their ability to go out and earn an income. And so I think the next few months, maybe six months, are going to be very telling. And 
I know for a fact, because I've seen report after report, families have, um, I think they've changed their ways. The last decade, we were spending as if there was no tomorrow. And it was okay as long as we had a job. And now that families are compromised, we are seeing people know clearly what is a need versus what is a want. They are very creative in terms of where they're pulling back. They want to take control of their expenses and their budgets. They are telling me that um, where they used to spend money, discretionary spending, a coffee here, a coffee there, lunch out, picking up dinner on the way home, fast food delivery, entertainment, travel. That's changed, and it's going to take a long time for that to come back. And for those of us who were definitely more fortunate and didn't lose income, are there ways that we can help, you know, like help those who are struggling or help with the economy? What are your ideas there? I mean, I know when we were off, I have a lady who would come weekly um, to clean the house. I will admit it. And we still continue to give her that money because I thought we both had our incomes. That's her income and she can't do anything. So, I mean, that was one little way that we tried to help. We did. We did exactly the same thing. Yeah. So for those of us who maybe do still have a bit of discretionary income, we can do something. What do you think we could do? Well, I think we can support local. We can buy Canadian-made goods uh, where we can. Uh, people, People are definitely giving to charities. Charities are struggling. And when you give to a charity, they can help so many more. It's that knock-on effect. Uh, we know that uh, there are very, there are wealthy people here in Canada. Uh, they're not out there spending either. And so some of that money could be redeployed into charities. And that doesn't mean that you have to respond to everyone that comes knocking at your door. That's just not realistic. But there are many people who are saying, okay, I can afford to give back and I'm going to give back. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to figure out what my values are, what really matters to me. If I decide to give, do I want to give in my own backyard, in my community here in Canada? It could be something overseas. Um, I'm going to check out the charities that I want to support and and understand what it is they're doing. And if people can't write a check, they're giving of themselves. And that's a great thing as well. But I do think supporting local, supporting small business uh, to the extent that you can, is going to go a long way. A small business is the backbone of our Canadian economy. And we are not seeing uh, small business bounce back like many had hoped or wish they would. It's interesting talking about charities. I've been doing a lot of research, reading some books on philanthropy and giving. It's just kind of a a little side interest of mine. And I know um, in the past, I feel like I've always heard that when you're choosing a charity, you should try to look at the charity that um, where the smallest percentage of donation goes to administration. You should be trying to make sure that you're maximizing Mm -hmm. your your amount. But then I've seen a few experts explain that maybe you shouldn't always be looking for that because good organizations, good nonprofits do need some overhead and and all of that sort of thing. And you need to be able to attract good people to run them and all of that sort of stuff. So what are your thoughts? How important is it to look at that, you know, percentage of, of your donation going to administration? I think it's, I think it's important to understand it. I look at giving to a charity and and I'm talking not necessarily the small amounts that you give out here and there, but I look at what is the overall good that this particular charity has the potential to do and what is it they're trying to do and how can I help support it because it's aligned to who I am. Um, I think of investing in charities the same way I would deciding on an investment in my portfolio. You need to do your homework. 
And to the extent that you research and you understand, I absolutely agree with you. There are going to be costs. But you want to make sure it's a registered charity. But on the other side of that, um, there are costs when you invest. There are going to be costs if you decide on a particular mutual fund and the management expense ratio could be a little higher, but you look at the track record, the performance that's generated, and your potential return, and you think, okay, this is a good bet. You wrote an interesting post for ctv.ca about people using restaurants less now and indicating that maybe moving forward, they will be as well. And I know sometimes some experts might say this is good because, for example, if you're trying to save your money or maybe health-wise, it's better not to eat out or whatever. But what is this going to do to the hospitality industry if people are all cutting back that way? I think it could absolutely devastate it. Um, You're making reference to a report that came out of Dalhousie University, and they they it was quite comprehensive actually. Ten thousand Canadians they they chatted with or had surveyed, and what came back was that approximately twenty four percent a year from now would still be working from home. And when they looked at some of their activities in um, fast food and eating out prior to the pandemic, about 37% roughly said they did. Uh, And yet by now, and the fact that they are at home and they're no longer in urban centers, they can make their own coffee. They can make their own lunch. Mm -hmm. And I'm certainly in that camp myself. That number drops down to closer to 24%. But in dollars, it wipes out about $20 billion in revenue in the restaurant industry. And 30% of that's due to telecommuting. And, and so the landscape as we know it is changing. And I, I do believe that there are going to be many organizations, many small businesses that simply don't make it because our habits, our lifestyle, where we work, how we work has really the potential to change at least until we really know there's a vaccine or the pandemic is completely under control. I feel like you're really giving me an excuse to order takeout and go to those patios. Yeah, as you much could as do I that. Can, just to support <laughs> others. <laughs> yeah, so I, we I'm are not. <laughs> We are not, you know, huge savvy investors or anything, but we have our RSPs. We have an RESP for the girls. I noticed at the beginning how the value dipped down seems to be climbing back up. What do you see happening with investments as we move through this period and then hopefully get to a post-COVID period? Wow, that's a big question. Uh, First, try not to let your emotions dictate your investment decisions. I think now is a really good time to say, okay, I don't know what the fall brings. We're getting a bit of a breather right now. We have seen the markets rebound. And so looking at my portfolio, am I really as diversified as I thought? Meaning, do I have money in cash? Because if by chance you lose your job or something happens come the fall, you want liquidity and cash to get you through. Now, some families will have an emergency fund. That's three to six months living expenses in cash that you have access to should you find yourself unemployed or in a difficult situation where you need money. If you don't have that, I always recommend to people get a line of credit or a credit card that you don't use so you have access to money because when you're in a dire situation, trust me, you're not going to be able to get access to it. So you do it ahead of time. 
Um, but looking at the port your portfolio, I, I have RSPs. I have tax-free savings accounts. We have an investment portfolio outside of those plans. And recently just sat down with our advisor and said, okay, let's look at this composition. You know, how are we weathering this storm? And we're doing okay. We're not doing great, but we're doing okay. Uh, but things are coming back and there are always going to be opportunities. You've probably heard this, Kate, a million times. Never let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> well, that's what my advisor is trying to tell me. He's saying, look at sectors that have been beaten down. The banks are a classic example. Uh, they've never cut their dividend. They continue to pay their dividend. And if you have a long-term horizon, say five years or more, you know, a basket of dividend-paying stocks where you've got companies that haven't cut, they continue to pay, they continue to increase it, they're paying you to wait to get through this. And so as long as you don't need that money and you have cash, um, look at your portfolio, make sure you're balanced. Um, I'd say, you know, steady as she goes. Okay. And what about real estate? Does COVID seem to be a good time to buy or sell or just hold at the moment? <laughs> I'm not going anywhere, but for others who are listening. Yeah, well, you know, that's a great question because uh, I just wrote a piece on real estate and it has a lot to do with the head of the CMHC, Evan Sedell. Uh, he is worried that the banks continue to give out mortgages to high risk um, Canadians who want to get into the market. They may still be getting government aid. We're in an ultra low interest rate environment. There's not a lot of supply out there. And his great fear is that come the fall, we could see um, possibly a second wave, layoffs happening, and prices fall significantly in the real estate market. And with high unemployment and people not being able to make their mortgage payments, is that knock-on effect. Uh, what we also know is you've got banks lending and wanting to pick up individuals' market share for mortgages, but you also have private lenders giving out money because they're not following the stricter guidelines, which means you have to have a higher credit score. And they also want to make sure you have less debt. Only then can you qualify for that mortgage. And so there's a real fear that we are going to see a pullback in the real estate market because it feels like for the last decade, it's been on fire. And it's been on fire because we've had low interest rates, we've had strong immigration, and we've had strong employment. And some of those things are shifting now. I received a question for you on Instagram from Megan. And Megan asks, do, oh, you, nice. do you have any tips for a shopaholic? Budgeting isn't working <laughs> so well. <laughs> oh, my goodness, a shopaholic. Okay, so put the credit card away. And I mean away, like you don't want to take it with you. Window shopping is not a sport. So remove yourself from that. You know, it's one of those things. People are trying to keep up with the Joneses and the Joneses are broke. Uh, we have seen that. People are spending themselves uh, into debt and the debt levels of Canadians are extremely high. I, I would challenge Megan to, you know, ask yourself the same question I did. Um, I don't really think of myself as a shopaholic, but I may have to reevaluate that. I look in my closet and I think, how many pairs of shoes do I really have? And when I think about the last five months, how many of them have I actually worn? <laughs> mm -hmm. How many purses do you need? Like, I mean, the list goes on and on. So start shopping in your own closet, take that money, tuck it aside and 
I guarantee, Megan, that she will, if she has a little financial flexibility, financial freedom, it feels way better than, you know, the next purchase. Well, I love your point. Window shopping is not a sport. And I think it used to be window shopping. It meant like, don't go walking by those boutiques downtown. But now the window shopping can be right on your phone. And so I think sometimes it's all about who you're following on Instagram. Like what, like you said, with the keeping up with the Joneses, like maybe you don't want to follow the Joneses online if that's going to be an issue. Oh, I agree with you. And the other thing is don't even allow yourself the temptation. Uh, I think the great, I saw a report that suggested the highest online shopping traffic is Friday night. I'm not suggesting people were enjoying a sociable beverage, but they may have been. And it's after midnight and they go shopping. And then they think the next day, what did I buy? And then they think, I can't be bothered taking it back and I'll just keep it. No, don't do that. Any tips for talking to kids about money? Maybe anything you did with your own kids or things you have in mind to to guide your grandchildren in the future? (laughs) Uh, You know, it, it is very interesting when you, I would love you to have that conversation with our children because it, it's interesting to hear their perspective versus my perspective. Because <laughs> um, I, I, prob- it probably would alter. The best thing that you can do for your children is to not create an entitlement mentality um, in terms of anything that maybe you've done, you've created all of a sudden they feel they're entitled to that, but they may not have earned it. And understanding that you're, you know, even if you, sometimes when you can afford to say yes to your children, um, and you do because you want to give them the best, you want them to have the best, it is actually harder to say no. And at a really early age, we try to sit down with the children and talk about financial savviness. And I'll give you an example. When my mother-in-law passed away, she died of cancer. And at the time, I was chatting with her, and I had written a book for our children, and it was called You Plus Investing Equals Success, meaning what you bring to the table, plus eventually when you do invest. This is you know what we're talking about financially. They never read it. Not one of them bothered to pick it up. They didn't even know they were in the credits of it. And my mother-in-law, I said, do you have any regrets in your life? And she said, I wish I was financially savvy. And I wish I had learned more. And I said, wow. And at the same time, she was telling me of a very small bequest that she was leaving each of our children. And on the moment, I said to her, I asked her, I said, are you okay If I take what you're giving them, and Jim and I, my husband, we are going to double that if they read the book and answer five skill skill testing (laughs) questions from me and pass it. She loved it because she felt that would be part of her legacy, not just the money, but something that really mattered to her that she wished she had done better in. And so I gave the children, I told the children about the money they were getting, that we were going to double it, that they had three months to read the book. I think it was 25 pages with a lot of graphics. And then they had to come back to me. Well, if you have children, you know they're all different. And three of ours read the book, answered the questions, got the money. They were done in a week and away they went. Our son, David, who I love to talk and pick on, he's, he's a good sport. Um, he, did, he read the book, but then came to me on the last day of which I would not have given him the match. He would have got his grandmother's money and said, all right, I'm ready for the dumb quiz. I thought attitude alone, I probably shouldn't do it, but I did. And and Jane, my other daughter, would say, I have a weak spot for David. She's probably right, but he did get through it. 
but you know, the lessons from there carried on in their lives. And I can tell you that our children going off to university, we, that was something we wanted to fund. They had to produce a budget. They couldn't come back to us midway through the year. Even when our oldest daughter, Carolyn, in like the first two months of university bought like a $600 ski jacket at the time, trust me, I didn't have one. And I said, well, I don't know what you're going to eat come May, but good luck with that. Never came back, never asked for a dime. Well, that's interesting. Do I sound like tough love? Oh, I sound horrible no. to people that are listening. I love it because you know what? As you were talking, I just wrote down your quote. The best thing you can do for your children is to not create an entitlement mentality. And I'm going to use that one with my own children. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They've got to live below their means. And, you know, it, it is helping to set them up for success because uh, we don't really talk about this sort of thing, budgets and, you know, what to do with your money and how to invest. David, which I once again tell you I love to pick on, I was literally driving. He was working, very successful guy in business, has a business degree. And he calls me and says, mom, how did you let this happen? And I said, let what happen? I owe money to CRA. And I went, uh, back up, Dave. I didn't let this happen. You let this happen. And it was about $1,700, which was a lot of money for him. And he said, how are we going to pay for it? And I said, we aren't, but you will. And, you know, good luck with that. I can tell you, I mean, we worked through it with him. We, I helped him reorganize his finances. He had the money. It was all good. That man has never, or young man, shall I say, has never owed CRA again. He, he knows exactly what to look for now. Well, speaking of your lovely children, I do have one more question from Instagram, and it's from a Jane Lovett. I think you know that name. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that name well. Yes. What did she say? Well, first of all, full disclosure to those listening that Jane's fiance and my husband are actually great friends through work. And Jane and I haven't met properly in person yet, but we're Instagram friends too. So we do have that connection. But Jane has a question for her mother, and she wants to know, are you ever going to retire? What will retirement look like for you? And can you please move and live near me? Oh, 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 that's really good. Okay, so, um, no, I'm not ever going to retire. What does retire? <laughs> Have you ever looked up retirement in the dictionary? No. Nope. Retirement means to become reclusive and disappear. Hmm. Uh, that's not, that's not, I know, really? Talk about a word that should be retired. Retirement. Um, you know, I rather, I want to be engaged. Will I be on TV forever? Absolutely not. Uh, it's a tough environment at the best of times. And, and I also eventually want to make room for others to progress and move through. Um, but that doesn't mean that I still don't want to keep doing what I do and trying to help people in my own way. So will I ever retire? Not entirely. Uh, what does it look like for me? It's, it's going to be very active, engaged. I hope until my very last day, I keep looking around the corner and saying, um, what's the next big thing? What's the next thing that we can do? Because I think life is is like writing a book, and you get it's your book. Your book is your life, and as one chapter ends, you get to decide how the next chapter begins. And so I, I definitely have believed that my whole life, and hope to continue to. And will I move closer to her? Well, let's just be clear. That fiance of hers, I wanted to step in and say, "Don't go." But then I also know that it was the right decision for her. And we see a ton of each other. Do you mm -hmm. notice how I hedged that answer? Probably <laughs> not moving to Bridge North anytime soon, but, um, but I could get closer. 
Now, the last thing I always ask my guests is, do you have a This Mom Loves or some sort of favorite thing to recommend to listeners? Maybe a beauty product you love or a book you've read or an app, anything at all? Wow. Okay. So, um, well, beauty product, I use SkinCeuticals for everything and always have. And I absolutely love that line of product. But the best thing that I I actually find is um, I love going online and getting different workout apps. And I, and I say that because especially with COVID, Mm -hmm. um, my age, as well as the fact that I have asthma, I'm not going to be getting to a gym anytime soon, but I am absolutely not going to stop working out. And so I love reading up on wellness and health and anything that I can get that I can tweak that I can take control of. I know we can't control everything, but where I can control and making the time to do something for me, I think makes me a better person for my family, for my friends. And so health, health, anything on health, send it my way, recommend it. Follow me on Instagram, tell me where to go and I will do it. Perfect. Well, I will have links. Oh wait, can I ask for one more thing? Yes. One more thing. If anyone has a good curly hair product, I need it desperately. (laughs) Mm, Okay. Sounds good. Listeners, we (laughs) want to know your curly haired products. So I will have links for all the places that you can find Patty online. Patty Lovett Reed, thank you so much for being here with me today. Kate, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. What a great guest. I really enjoyed that conversation. As promised, I will have links for you to find Patty Lovett Reed, as well as to find the books that I recommended in this episode, the link to the book list that I posted earlier during COVID, as well as Eva Scrunchy Co., all in the show notes for this episode at thismumloves.ca slash podcasts, and you will want to click on episode 52. I would like to thank my sound editor, Lucas Sound, who always does such a wonderful job. And thank you all for being here. The best thing you can do to show your support is to share the podcast with someone else. So even if you want to share it on social media or just tell a neighbor, tell a friend, tell somebody at work, if you think that they might be interested, it's so appreciated. Next time on the show, we will have an interview with Melissa Grello, co-host of The Social, with a lot of uh, a lot of great content. So you are not going to want to miss that. Until then, take care. <laughs>